Well, good morning. I wanted to change the name of this message today. It was, it's still been an unlikely leader, and I wanted to call it an unlikely leader called by Dan or called by God. Because you see, Dan bugged me about doing this uh, this weekend, and I had great excuses. I had a hunting trip planned annually, I had a business trip to Asia, and then the most important excuse was our uh, daughter, Shayla and Sam McGee, were expecting our fourth grandchild on October 31st, Halloween. Every time that Dan asked me, I said, no, 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 I can't do that. And then until I asked Sam and Shayla if I, they were delivering their baby while I was delivering the sermon this weekend, would they be okay with it? And they said, of course. So now how do you tell Dan no? Well, I realized that I wasn't really wrestling with Dan asking me. I realized I was wrestling with God. Because when God calls, we can't turn away. And by the way, our fourth grandchild was born this week. God cleared the path on October 29th. Um, and Shayla and Sam and Harrison, our, our two-and-a-half-year-old, welcomed Elliot Joy McGee. So thank you very much. It's good to... Jason Pegg also shared with me, I need to tell a little bit about my background and story, and it's kind of amazing how, when he shared that with me, how it would stitch into today's message. And so I am a fifth-generation, multi-generation entrepreneur, and my children are starting the sixth generation, as well as their spouses. And for those that don't know what an entrepreneur is, they risk their paychecks each and every day. And this is my favorite of an entrepreneur because it's the best definition is we jump off the cliff and build the airplane on the way down. <laughs> so here's to all the entrepreneurs we have in our body, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, and the list goes on. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska, and I moved to the Spokane area when I was about three. I started selling praying mantises at five years old to the gardeners in the Ponderosa, and I figured my, I was the first organic pest control specialist in our area. But I raised chickens and sold the eggs, and I raised a cow from three days old until he ended up on my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Buchanan's dinner table, because he bought that cow from me, who at Otis Elementary, of all places. I accepted Christ and was baptized uh, at age nine. And I also started fly fishing at age nine with my dad. It was the one time that we probably uh, had developed some, a good relationship there. He taught me that. And then at age 12, I started a fly shop called Wayne's Fly Cash on the Spokane River from ages 12 till 18. And I sold flies and tied flies and sold fly rods to the doctors and other people that fly fish back in the day. But work and work ethic and near perfection was always important in my family, multi-generational. But I also thought that I was flawed because I grew up with childhood epilepsy from 3 to 13, and it was a difficult part of my life and also for my parents. The challenges and struggles of growing up, I knew, I learned that later, it didn't define who I would be, but it would shape what I would become. And my story was really shaped, reshaped in about age 17 uh, to 19 in that time period. At 17, I rededicated my life to the Lord uh, at winter camp, but I also at the same time was still struggling in my relationship in and around home. And I saw going to the military was my ticket to back to Alaska, where I would be single. I would hunt and fish and move as far away from the Spokane area as I could. But God had other plans for me, because my history of epilepsy kept me from getting my pilot's license at the time, and it also scratched me from the military three weeks prior to my parents starting Telect. I would join as the first employee, and within six months, I would meet this young lady at church, and we started dating. God has a real sense of humor. Don't you find that in your plans? Because I ended up staying in the Spokane area. I never moved back to Alaska. I worked for my parents for years. 
I have three wonderful children, three wonderful in-loves or in-laws, and four grandchildren, and Spencer and Audrey have another one on the way in April with my most awesome and wonderful wife, Trina, of nearly 35 years. So he has greater plans for us. My plans aren't, weren't perfect, and I wasn't ready for what, much of what God had in store each and every time. But let's embrace today that none of us were really ready for what was in store at another stage in our life, but that somebody came alongside of us and they saw something inside of us that we didn't, couldn't even see in ourselves when they asked us or invited us into that next step. As Christians, God is looking to see us grow. He's also looking at the capable to grow. Not always the ready, the capable, the competent in him, and so that he can work in and through us and the ability for our character to grow. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ today into your life, Jesus is looking to invite you into his succession and legacy plan and begin a new life story and possibly a new legacy. We are in the last of this series, An Unlikely Leader, and so we've kind of unpacked David's life in these, the last seven weeks. We've seen David the warrior, which was kind of his vocational training, David the friend, David the tempted, David the weight master, David the bored, David the conflict avoider, and David the comeback king. And when the comeback king, if you get a chance to watch that, if, if you didn't see last week's, it was great because it talks about this idea of redemption and I think sets up our discussion for today. Because today we're going to be talking about David, God's refire for life's legacy. You see, David chose to change the way that he was modeled as he blessed and supported his successor, Solomon. David could have chosen to mimic what Saul and how Saul treated him during the time while he waited to be king, but he changed the course to improve the way of the past. And he didn't criticize Solomon. He led with truth and grace in his charge. Solomon's rise to readiness was nothing like David's. It wasn't the same. It didn't match it. But we look at David at the end of his life, um, uh, handing off to Solomon. And so before we look at his blessing and charge, let me just kind of tell you a little bit on 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must go someday. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. David speaks in this to Solomon with heartfelt vision and encouragement. And Solomon knows that his father's time is near. And he's going about ready to receive you know, the family legacy ring as well as his sword. One of my favorite movies is the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. And I'd like you to watch this clip and this scene with me now, and I'll unpack that as soon as it's finished. Get on your knees. Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. 
save God to help us and do no wrong. That is your oath. And that's how you remember it. This scene shows Godfrey of Evelyn giving charge to his son Balin, much like I would I picture at the time of David and Solomon. It's an emotional interaction, and, but you saw Godfrey smack Balin it was to, so he would remember the oath. I'm not sure that would have happened with David and Solomon. Uh, but Balin, like Solomon, had a very similar story um, together, both of them as descendants. By the way, I wouldn't recommend to any one of you smacking your child or your successor as a way of transition in handing off your legacy. So I'm not validating that with that movie. You know, you have heard me use refire, and it is because I believe that our stories are kind of like swords, Damascus steel swords, if you will. And you'll see in this image that swords made of Damascus steel were once one of the hardest steels on earth. And back 2000 BC, they used, um, they used these. That's where they got their name. And sometimes it's created by heating and cooling and pounding and heating and cooling. And sometimes up to 1,200 layers go into making up the pattern of a Damascus steel sword. Not too different than our lives. You know, we, our lives are that way. We get in our struggles and in our pain. You know, the goodness of God's graceful nutrients also cool us and help us strengthen all of these experiences are part of your life story, our life story, like David's. Like David, God isn't finished with you when you are stopping or transferring leadership. When you do that, retirement is really not what we're called to do. You and I still have more to do for the kingdom through leadership. Leaders learn and lead and move on to new callings with our skills, not to stop them. I was with Dennis Rainey a few years back, the pre former president of Family Life, and a small group of men, and Dennis he kind of wrapped up our time saying that his mentor gave him this beautiful picture, and he said, Dennis, I do not want to go out. I want to go out stretching out, not resting out. And we think about that even when we move from maybe it's a Bible study into something different or a community group into another. We want to continue to be stretching out. So it's time for us to refire and change the course like David. So let's look at what David did differently and in kind of this anointing of Solomon. The first thing that David did was, or excuse me, that Solomon had, is he had that God had already chosen Solomon to be the next king. And the second thing is David chose Solomon to be the successor. Both of those actions are clear because they gave Solomon an understanding of what his leadership would look like and what he required to lead. I mentioned that I am a multi-generational entrepreneur, but a smooth road it was not for my dad and me. My dad desired at one time to take over as a successor for American Sign and Indicator, one of the founding tech companies in Spokane, and his uncle told him, Bill, you have the wrong last name. That set a, next, a new direction for my dad and eventually into the telecom industry and then to eventually starting Telect. While I was in a role of eventually being the successor, my dad and I struggled relationally in business. I took the challenge in the early 1990s when my dad said, Wayne, if I had to pick a president today, it wouldn't be you. I made myself ready, and despite it not being the easiest transition, we survived. 
Both generations grew, and we didn't bleed to death as I pulled the passing sword out of his hand a bit. Under my leadership as president and CEO of Telec, the business grew at an amazing rate over seven years. And then in 2001, the bottom dropped out. And that's when my real refire and reforming uh, took place. I reduced 1,700 people worldwide over a 24-month period under my leadership. With customers like Enron and WorldCom not paying, we lost 70% of our revenue in 24 months. I've terminated the employment of six of my relatives and employees that were close, very, very close to me as, as in my time as leadership. I tried to sacrifice Telec five different times, basically saying, here, Lord, just like Isaac, here, take Telec, only to have Jesus say, where I'm not finished with you and I'm not finished with the company yet. I was intentional about changing what the successor and the way that it was modeled would look like. In July of 2017, we sold Telect after 17 years of managing through turbulent times to Amphenol. That was after a 35-year legacy. Effective October 19th this year, after 24-plus months of succession and transition training and planning, Spencer Williams, my son, took over as general manager of Amphenol Telect and continues now under new leadership, selected by the new owners. You know, David changed his life story. He redirected this legacy. So what makes succession and and letting go the hardest? Well, is that we oftentimes, as predecessors, compare our accomplishments to the successor coming up behind us. Theodore Roosevelt says, comparison is the thief of joy. Joy is one of our most vulnerable emotions. Yet when handing off something, we can lose joy as the predecessor because we're comparing on the way out. So let's look back at Scripture after David dropped Goliath right where he stood. The people rose up and offered a comparison, and look what it did to Saul. 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 9. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me only the thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Are you like Saul, jealous of the person, the child, the team that's coming up behind you and will replace you? Do you feel like you have to compare your accomplishments to theirs? We all know that comparison is a kill, kills joy. We see it, whether we look at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We watch people all day long comparing how many likes they have compared to someone else. Does it change their mood? Yes, it does. And as a student or a child today, you might be growing up and living with this idea of YOLO, you only live once. And that can be a life saying for you. But I would even challenge you to sit down and ask your parents when they experienced YOLO and they thought they only lived once. And parents, I would challenge you to not use advice and direct your kids what to do so they avoid that experiencing once, but to share with them what you went through because that shows you've got empathy at that point. So don't be the predecessor that can resent the one that's being knighted to take the sword. Matthew 7, 12 gives us an example of this. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is essence, all of the taught with its taught in the law and the prophets. Such a powerful scripture. I'm sure one Saul wished he had, but I'm glad that we have it today and can apply it. One of my notable sayings when I'm teaching on mentorship or succession, is I like to allow the next generation of leaders to grow. And the way to do that is let them burn their fingers, just don't torch the house. 
My grandfather was a neon sign builder, and I'd watch him as a young kid, and he would be bending glass and that, and be red hot, and then right after it cooled, he'd reach over and grab it. And I'd want to grab it, but I couldn't. And the primary reason I couldn't is because when you shook my grandfather's hands, his hands were calloused, because he'd done it for so much. But for me, mine weren't. So sometimes as parents, we like to protect our kids and not let them develop the calluses. And I think that in this way, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to figure out a way to embrace and let them burn their fingers. But let's look right now at five key areas where David really set an example for us on succession. And this has been a powerful, powerful walkthrough for me to, to go through as well. First Kings 1, 28 through 30. What David did was he made it public when the transition was taking place. King David responded, call Bathsheba. So she came back in and stood before the king. And the king repeated his vow, as surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger? Your son Solomon will be the next king, and I will sit on the thro- my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. When we make succession or legacy transition public, we bring it into the light. We give clear expe- expectations to the next in charge, the successor, and we leave little wondering by them or the team that is watching. Succession is painful for the predecessor. When was the last time, and maybe some of you in here have had this happen, that you've just given up something or somebody removed you from something that you love to do or actually defined who you were? Was it retirement? Was it a job? Was it a ministry you were in charge of? Was it children leaving the house empty? And it was for my wife and I. In fact, if you'd like to know what that's like, three of our kids all got married in 12 months. So that was like ripping the Band-Aid off. Giving it up is painful, but where what we give up, there is loss. But where loss sits in our heart and in our soul, we've got to say goodbye to it before we can allow anything new to come in. And I would say try to say goodbye to that loss today. During last week's service, I saw, from sitting over here, I saw this beautiful picture of what the, this topic was com- becoming. If you see this, this is a picture of the stage from Eric and Kenny. And while, you know, there's loss, Eric is, will be experiencing some loss, but Eric moved to the back and Kenny at the front. And it's such a great picture of what happened when a predecessor is beginning to bring in a successor. And this week we saw on stage Matthew next to Kenny, who is also at our Otis campus, modeling, they're modeling this same exact thing. And is it challenging? Is it fearful? Yes, it is fear. I would just love to, if we could applaud for this example right now for imprinting succession and our, wor- our great worship team. But God really makes a way for us. Let go and let him open up a new life without fear. And I heard fear said one time, the acronym stands for false expectations appearing real. Sometimes we think they're going to be real and what's going to come through, but we have yet to experience it. And we'll see in a, in a minute on a couple of uh, verses. But for Trina and I, we felt this. I, told, I shared with her about 30 days ago the struggle that I'm having. I don't have a team anymore. I don't have um, anyone emailing me. And my biggest struggle is my vocational training of understanding fiber optic and wireless marketplace for 36 years is lost. And I, but I have a life team around me helping me refire right now on what is next and what is in store. And I love these two, these two verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, the, gives me comfort in this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Second one, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? 
I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. I will make pathways in the wilderness and rivers in the dry wasteland. He goes ahead of us to prepare. And it's amazing sometimes we don't see, we don't see his preparation, but we see his imprints after we've passed it. The second thing that David does is he surrounds Solomon with key people of influence. In 1 Kings 1.32, then King David ordered, call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiad when they came into the king's presence. When we surrounded the successor with the strength team and support, we help fill where they are weaker. This only helps them model and understand and strengthens them and lets them build some new calluses on their own. Avoid walking away or abandoning or suddenly leaving an empty space for a successor. Avoid, if you can, hovering or staying so close that they can't develop their own path, in many ways, like you did. Avoid, or excuse me, I want you to like, like you to think about embracing moving forward in a different and new relationship by offering encouragement to your successor, by becoming a person of influence. But whether you're a parent, a teacher, a minister, a coach, or a volunteer, you place yourself in an area of influence and people are watching you and, and you're touching their lives. In Proverbs 22.6, we, we read, direct your children onto the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. So we want to model what we want mimicked. And this really came to life for me early on uh, before our first child's born. I was traveling in 1986 in Alabama, went with one of my distribution reps at the time, stopped at a Cracker Barrel restaurant, bought a Snapple, opened up the back, and on the back of the bottle top it said, children are natural mimics, no matter what we tell them to do or not to do, they continue to do what we do. And so are our teams, and so are the people around us. This was a powerful, this verse and this, um, this saying were just powerful things for me in leadership uh, with my family and in business. But it didn't come to real life until about my, when Mitch was 10 and, and Spencer 7, and we wanted a snowmobile, so we borrowed my dad's snowmobiles. Um, he brought them over to the house. And I went to take both machines out of the back of the trailer. And the second machine, when I took it out, I tipped it over and I scratched the hood. Now, this for normally might not be a bad experience for you guys in your relationship, but my boys immediately said, are you going to tell Grandpa? And the reason that they asked that by 10 and 7 is they probably knew how Grandpa might respond. And so I said, yes. Well, deep down inside, I did not want to tell Grandpa. And I was not going to. I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this one? Anyway, I, 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 take the, I, I take the machine or the machines down. I go in to tell Trina. I tell her the whole story. And she, said, and she says, well, you know what your dad's going to say? I said, yeah, he's going to say, I've had these machines for two years and I haven't put a scratch on them. And so you need to know why that's important because my dad, you would want to buy something used from him because it would be in better condition than it was new. And so I go out, my boys, they're in their snow clothes, they're just looking at me, and are you, they're both asking, are you going to tell Grandpa, are you going to tell Grandpa? Yes, I'm going to. Why am I going to? Well, guess what? My dad starts driving down the driveway. Never would just stop by. Why that moment? Like, why now? So anyway, they're looking at me, and my dad comes, I tell him the story, and my dad stops, he kind of pauses, he looks down, boys are just like looking up, and he said, well, you know, I've had these machines for three years, and I haven't put a scratch on them. Now, I will tell you, I was off a year, but... If you really look at this, they'd already seen this. They, they kind of were expecting something. We kind of know what our legacy is leaving. And so, and I look at him and, and he goes, you know, now that you've scratched and damaged them, you're going to have to buy them, something else that I grew up with. And, and I said, yes. And without skipping a beat, I said, you know, now they're scratched and damaged, I should get a pretty big discount. And, 
And so we laughed about it. But you know, the story, get, it's there, it was great. But it wasn't until 24 hours later that I saw it lived out. I came home from work and it's snowing outside. I got my overcoat on and Mitch meets me at the top of the stairs. And he says, uh, he comes up, Dad, come downstairs. And I go, no, hang on, I got to get my cough. No, come downstairs. And, uh, and I, so I followed him downstairs. He said, Spencer and I were playing ping pong and the paddle slipped out of my hand and it dented the wall. And I, will, I get chills every single time I tell this story because it was all of a sudden this God just kind of like, he showed up in a big way to me and said, Wayne, it's no matter what you're telling your kids to do and what you're doing, they're watching everything that you're doing and they're learning, they're catching more than we sometimes think that they're taught. I did have someone after the first service ask me, did you uh, tell Mitch that he was going to have to buy the house? But that did not happen. <laughs> And I thought that was pretty funny. I enjoyed that one. So the second, the second area I'd like to just give you a view of is this, the modeling of a story told by Gilda Radner. Um, she was a comedian on Saturday Night Live, and she had a pregnant dog. And while that dog was pregnant, it, uh, both, it had a terrible accident, and both of the back legs had to be amputated. But thankfully, the puppies survived, and they were born normal. One day, looking out her window... Mrs. Radner saw that the mother dog walking by dragging herself around the yard on her bottom with her front legs, only to be followed by her new little puppies, who themselves walked by using their front legs and dragging their bottoms with perfectly healthy legs. Those little puppies, no matter how healthy their legs were, learned to walk by watching their mother. Their mother's infirmities transferred to the perfectly healthy bodies of her puppies because of the power of example. And I look at that. What infirmities have I had? What infirmities do you have right now? Are you transferring those to your next generation, whether it is in with your kids or it's with a group of people or it's inside your ministry? Have your past wounds of words that you've heard and those kind of the mistakes you've made, did they define who you are? I've had bad experiences growing up with anger, so I didn't like it. I did not give my kids a good example of what, how to handle anger in the house. In fact, what they saw is when things got really tense in the house, I walked away, and to them that looked like abandonment. And you need to understand, because my background was not good in anger, I did, and I would abandon a situation there. Now, the contrast is in business. My wife used to say I eat conflict for breakfast, and I did, but in the house I couldn't. And so what I had to do a couple years ago was come back and meet with each one of them at lunch independently apologizing to them for the, what I did not give them, the good nutrients that I didn't give them, only to find out that each one of those lunches turned into not just forgiveness, but encouraging words back to me. Again, I had to get over my fear of saying I'm sorry. Succession does start early, but don't give up if you've missed it, because today there's opportunities to reconcile. There's not a place to hang on into regret. John 3.30 says he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. It's natural. It's part of God's plan. The third thing that David did was he gave Solomon resources. In 1 Kings 1.33, and king said to them, take Solomon and my officials down to Gion Spring, and Solomon is to ride my, own, my mule. It is best to hand off with some resources. That could be training, a level of finances, or other people on a team. When a community group branches, because we're asked to do that, Basically, what we do is we take and bring two community groups out and both take people so that they can grow stronger and stronger. And training does not mean doing for the person. It doesn't mean telling them what to do or talking at your successor. Training is letting them experience 
experiencing some loss and growth, and you experiencing loss and the pain that comes with that new growth. Trina and I do hope that we have modeled to our kids the loving Jesus Christ, the date nights that we always made important, the tithing, giving, serving, and then also struggling through some real difficult times. And now I think it's time for us to do the same for our grandkids. The fourth thing that David did was he publicly commissioned and endorsed. In 1 Kings 34 through 35, there Zadok the priest and Nathan, like, Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horns and shout, long live King Solomon. Then escort him back here and he will sit on my throne. He will succeed me as king for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Moving it from a small public number to a commissioning endorsing is so powerful because it adds strength to your successor. It could be your kids. It could be that next leader and models future expectations to those that are watching around us. As a parent, you know, the, person, the, the purpose of us is to train up our kids in the way of the Lord. But when they turn 18 and they move out of the house or when they get married and they're gone, yeah, is there painful and is there lost? But we do have opportunities to move in to a new stage. Finally, I love what David does in the fifth area. He, David initiated a celebration of succession. And I think so many times we're quick to act on a celebration of retirement and celebrate that more than we are the celebration of succession. <clears throat> Excuse me, in 1 Kings 1, 39 through 40, there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from a sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horns and all the people shouted, long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. When we celebrate the succession, we set a graceful entrance for people. Our words, our encouragement, our empathy, our joy, the validation, identification, and comfort sets in. Those are great nutrients for a successor. The greater the exception, all the people participating get to see that, and then they set an example. They get to understand what the new example is. I, uh, my hope this morning is that this model of succession and legacy might start something new for you. It started with King David, and God talked about his many generations to come. I hope that I have 10 generations to come that see this influence of what Christ is doing in and through our kids' lives and grandkids eventually. David's succession is Jesus Christ. His lineage is Jesus Christ, but so is ours. His example is what we all wish to see for generations to come. We can model for them during this season that will show redemption and reconciliation. And I just would ask that it give you an opportunity to become a new mighty mentor for those around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, just lead us in this refiring and just may our lives be uh, more useful for you and that we understand this understanding that people are seeing you in and through us and that we must we must mimic what you're modeling, Lord, and we must continue to let um, your light shine through us, Lord. I pray that one person listening tonight might hear your word and, and be able to join your legacy, Lord, and fill your uh, heart through us today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.